Morning. Morning. <laughs> Come on, flip. All right. We used to use patent paper, but now it's these things. Um, um, you know, if you've been coming here uh, recently, you know what we're talking about today. If you're a guest here, I mean, if this is your first time, I'm not going to apologize for what I'm going to say. I'm just going to let you know that um, this, is for, this is for believers. It's not just for people in this church. And if you, are, if you have a home church somewhere else, then um, take these things, these ideas, and put them into practice wherever you are, where you live, where you work, where you worship. Um, I know that if you show up somewhere as a guest and it's the money day, um, it's not a great day. I, I, I've gotten more emails about this series and this topic than I have about anything else ever. And, and mo there's a common theme. And by the way, all the illustrations that have been shared with me, they're awesome. And I have a file, actually a paper file that I've kept, I've printed those up and kept them in. We will, we will get to this topic again because Jesus talks about it so much. However, one common theme in all of those things is this aligns similar to this. I know that, that preaching about money and tithing is a very difficult thing. And my response back to every person that says it is, it's not difficult to preach. It's really clear. It's difficult to hear. And it is. And so I, when I'm standing up here, I, I can, I even, even this disclaimer up front, I'm not disclaiming what I'm going to say. I'm just saying, I, look, I know if I were sitting there, I don't really want to hear this. But if you don't hear it, you're not hearing all of the gospel. You're not hearing the proclamation of God's desire for you. So we're going to talk today about, about personal, God, your view of God in your personal finances. Now, four weeks ago, uh, Andrew was up here and he, he started this series off with, do you trust me? And he, he talked about Abraham. Abraham, who was Abram when he, God called him, was willing to give up everything, his home, everything he depended on, his, 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 his heritage, and trust God to go somewhere. And then God provided, he had promised him a son, and, and he waited a lifetime for this son. The son shows up. Abraham loves him, loves him. And then God says, slaughter him for me. That's scary. I mean, even God, he, what it came down to is God, wanted, will you trust me even when it looks like I'm going against my promise? Because Isaac was the promise of God. And he did not actually require Abraham to kill his son, but he did want to make sure that Abraham knew that God is to be loved even more than God's promises and even more than the things we hold most dear. Now, here's the scary thing. One of the things that we hold most dear is stuff. And God speaks to that. Two weeks ago, or two Sunday, three Sundays ago, we talked about why. Why does this matter? Why do the finances of Christian people, why do they matter? We talked from Ephesians where it tells us that it is God's desire now that through the church we might declare the manifold wisdom, the all-encompassing, multifaceted wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities of the air. So the demonic hosts. And, and we talked about if every Christian in the, in the United States, only the United States, were to give just 10% of their income, the entire world would change 
The view of God would change and God's manifold wisdom would be proclaimed and declared not only to the seen world, you and me, but to the unseen world, the angelic and demonic host. Last week, we acknowledged that we can't control what every other Christian in the, in the country does, but we do have some say what happens here. So it was, do we trust him? Why this topic? What might we do about it? What, how can we bless just as a community of believers, the 2,100 people that are here, what could we do if we all just said a dime off of every dollar? It's not going to harm us. We're not going to suffer because of it. But what if we trusted God in this? And today now, you can't control the person sitting next to you unless you're married to them. And then you can't control you, but you can speak in. Today, we're going to talk about what about you? What's it to you? I'm going to give you some background. I've acknowledged for the last couple of weeks that, that tithing, the command to tithe, to give one dime off of every dollar, is not a New Testament principle per se. There's no Jesus um, commandment to do this. It's an Old Testament concept, but there's New Testament pieces to it. So I'm going to give you the background on this. These passages will not be up here. If you're, if you're a note taker, I'll give you the reference first, and then I'll read the passages. But in the Old Testament, there are three different areas that, that people were required, commanded to give. There's the idea of first fruits, that you were to bring your, your, the first part of your, of your harvest, the first uh, birth of a new lamb or, the, or a new oxen, a new ox, wouldn't be oxen, but... What, the harvest, you're supposed to bring the first fruits, the very first, the best, and bring it to the Lord's service. And you can find that in Proverbs chapter 3, 7 through 10. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's first fruits. In addition to that, there's the tithe, the 10%. And the 10%, a dime off of every dollar, a tenth of every, every harvest, all those things were to be brought to the Lord's house, whether it be the local synagogue or it be the priestly class or it be to the temple worship for, for, to, to provide for the worship of God and to provide for all the festivals that God had commanded his people to, to indeed celebrate. So you can, now Malachi it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's a great name because it would just be one of those great horror movie names. Malachi. I mean, it's just not a great sounding name, right? But Malachi has a really tough warning. He, he says some things to us about our marriage covenants in chapter 2. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he says, God says through Malachi, you're going to rob God? How, how would we rob you? By withholding from me your tithe. And then he says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says God. Test me. It's the only time in all of scripture that God tells us to test him. He tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord. Genesis 22, we talked about four weeks ago. But here he says, test me in this. Says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not cast off their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then, remember what we said two weeks ago, that to declare the manifold wisdom of God? Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And then there's the, the, the principle and the command. It's, it comes from the mitzvot. The mitzvot, uh, the, all the commands in the Jewish faith. Um, I want to say this is one, number 116. Um, but the, the command of the corners. If you are a farmer, 
and you harvest your field, you're supposed to leave the corners. You knock down, you knock it down, but you don't glean it. You don't take up the stuff from it. You leave the corners of the field for the poor and for the foreigner in your midst so that they can come and gather and then they can make grain and, then, and flour and bread so that they would be fed. You know, you can find that in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. So see, even in the Old Testament, tithing wasn't it. It was first fruits and tithing and the corners. God wants more. And there he commanded, and he set these boundaries up, not to, not to deny them pleasure and joy, but to pr- protect them from getting so consumed with themselves and their own wealth that God would no longer be trusted. See, our view of money tells us about our view of God. New Testament. Again, no specific spot here where Christ commands us to tithe, but he does tell us, don't forget about the tithe. But first, the woes, do you guys know about the woes, the seven woes that you find in the Matthew? He, when he says to the Pharisees and the teacher of the law, he says, you, you hypocrites, you'll cross the sea to win a single convert. And then you bring them back and you make them twice the son of hell as you. <laughs> That's the Jesus we all think about, isn't it? But seven times he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And watch one of them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, religious people, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. We go, yeah, yeah, I'm all about justice. I don't have to worry about the money thing. But listen to what Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former. So he doesn't say a tithe is mandatory, but he does say don't neglect it. He's not saying it's wrong. He says practice that, but don't only practice that. Philippians 4.19 says This is Paul promising us, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's all from God. It's all because of God. And it's God's providence and God's provision that supplies you every need. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And no one in this room is going to say, I love, it's the love of money. I bow down and worship money. I throw money up in the air and say, make it rain. No one does that. And if you do, come on. (laughs) But if you have the sense in you, when a preacher stands up or when a Bible study leader says, or or when a daily devotional communicates that you and your money tell you about you and your God. If you get that little, I'm telling you, as the one who's supposed to proclaim the word of God to you, that tells you that you're afraid and insecure. Because you're willing to trust God with your eternal soul, your eternal address, but not a dollar bill. Here's what he says, Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Squeaky. Your money 
is not your money. And I'm not talking to you about this today because I want our budget to grow. I'm talking about this today because God thinks it's important. And if you believe that God is God and you won't trust him in this, then you really don't believe God is God. You believe that I got this, God, you take care of people over there. It's fear. It's what if something happens If I'm generous, if I sow generously, like we talked about last week from 2 Corinthians, if I sow generously and and, and I, I don't hold on to as much, what if something happens? What if there's a day where I am in want? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. See, if I've got, oh, I've got to provide for the future because the Lord holds the future, so I better be in charge of what the Lord, it's fear. It's fear that God won't be a giving God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. This is not a matter of you providing for yourself. This is a matter of God providing for you. And because Jesus knows how hard it is to serve God, he says you can't serve God and money. You can't. The best provision against Murphy's law, against something going wrong, is faithfulness to God in all areas of your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything, everything. And this is a big piece, especially in the United States of America. Our money is a big deal. And preachers don't get to tell us about our money. So I'm gonna let Jesus tell you about your money. But so that you can understand what he's saying, I'm going to do some math for you. This is called the parable of the talents. And when you hear, oh, he has a God-given talent, what do you think? Great musician, Andrew Moore, Kurt Dykema, Chad Dykema, Randy, Daniel, Susie. Oh, so glad they share their gift. God-given talent with us. It's It's where that word comes from. Right here, New Testament, Matthew 25. But you know, that a talent in here, it's not just a coin. It actually weighs 75 pounds. Have you ever had to, anyone, who has a, a boat with a trolling motor? A couple of us, right? Okay. When you got to grab that battery, if it has the handle on it, and you got to walk from your basement where you store it in the winter, and you got to take it up the stairs to your boat in the spring, and if you have two of them, 24 volt, and you're, that's, that's, a, that's a talent. 75 pounds. A talent that, that this master uh, entrusts to some. Think of a car battery or one of those jump boxes that you have that your, that your husband puts in the back of your car in the winter because he doesn't want to have to come up with jump, jumper cables. No, okay. A talent that this master in this parable entrusts to his servants is six, it weighs the same as 6,000 denarii. A denarii is one day's wages. So one talent is 6,000. And if you were to get one day's wages every day of the year for 300, 365 days a year, it would be 16, hold on, got to make sure I get it right. 16.43 years of wages is one talent. But no one then worked 365 days a year and we don't work 365 days a year. So let's just do the math with uh, 40 hours a week, 10 hours, $10 an hour, times however many, you know, 52 weeks a year. It's 23 years of wages is one talent. 
And that's approximately $478,400 at $10 an hour. But let's take the median income that we used last week at $65,000 a year. You annualize that times 23, and you end up with one talent is $1,495,000. And in here, Jesus says, the master says to the servants, you've been faithful with a few things. Where is $1,495,000 considered a few things? So when he entrusts one with five, one with two, one with one, each according to their abilities, it's, it's 7,475,000, dollars and $1,495,000. And I want you to know, Dan Walcott, a Bible teacher at Holland Christian High School, also the, one of the pastors at Bethany uh, CRC on the south side, he says this, and I'll never forget it. He says, a, a, a text out of context is a pretext for trouble. I got to tell you where this passage shows up in Matthew. Here's an example of a text out of context. Judas went and hanged himself. Got it? Go and do likewise. Those don't go together. <laughs> They're out of context. So in context, this parable of talents, we'll get to it in just a minute. I know you kind of, it's like a long intro. But I gave you, give you context so you know what Jesus is saying. This passage comes right between the signs of the ends of the age the day and the hour unknown, the parable of the ten virgins, which is saying you better be ready, then the parable of the talents, and then the sheep and the goats, and then they try to kill Jesus. So that's the warning, and the be ready, and the watch out section of the gospel according to Matthew. So yeah, I got some numbers. Now you know that then when Jesus is talking about this, it's not only about money, but it is about money because he chose money as the thing and he chose an extravagant amount of money to talk about. Now watch what happens and listen to the verbiage of this story. At that time, excuse me, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. $7,475,000. To another, he gave two talents, $2,990,000. And to another, one talent, $1,495,000, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had two talents also came, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now notice what Jesus is saying. Obviously, God is the master. I mean, it's a parable. It, it, there's connection, and it's a way of telling a truth that gets to your heart first and then moves to your head instead of doing only the didactic stuff in your head and hoping it'll feed down to your heart. Notice what the master says. You've been faithful. 
Let me reward you. Come share in your master's happiness. How often do you think of God as being happy? Is it often? I mean, do you see God when, when you come into church? Do you, do you see him like, like you would see your beloved grandpa? And when you walk, he's, oh, you're here. Come here. Come here. I got something for you. That's what Jesus is saying. Come and share in your master's happiness, my provision, my desire, my hope, the peace that transforms all, or that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind because you've been faithful. And then, this is the one we love. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And I want you to see the exclamation points here, so I'm going to read it accordingly. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw, him, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yay. <laughs> Share in, my master, in your master's happiness or fall into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Come into glory or face judgment. That's this passage. And the reason Jesus uses money, an extravagant, extraordinary amount of money, the kind of money none of us would ever see. The one, the, the, the one with five talents, it was 115 years worth of daily wages. 115 years. This is hyperbolic. He's using extraordinary numbers. I mean, beyond the capacity for most people to understand it. And he's choosing money to say, are you going to, you realize who it comes from? Do you realize that the master shares and trusts his property to you? And if you don't believe that, then you can't really believe that Jesus died for you. Either God provides all that you need and your salvation, or God's not involved. See, Jesus knows that how you see money it's how you see God. To say, he entrusted this to me. I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to do what the master would have me do. I'm going to do my best. And if I fail, at least he knows that I gave it my best. The other said, you don't have any right to tell me what to do. And I'm not even sure you got this money for real. I'm not even sure you gather where you haven't planted. See, he sees God as stingy. Do you? Honestly, you think God is a God who withholds and wants you to suffer on his behalf? We just sang a song that Jesus left death in his grave. We don't owe anything now except gratitude. Everything we have, every piece of hope, everything that, everything that is good and right and noble and excellent and praiseworthy comes from the Lord. And he's given you God-given talent. He's given you brains and abilities to, to do your ciphering, to do whatever you got to do to make, make an income. If he took that away, you're broke. 
But somehow, some way, we think that I need to provide for myself because God won't. I'm going to assure you that God does not have to. If, if, you, if you find yourself in want, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you find yourself in want, that God doesn't have to dim the lights in heaven, turn down the heat in heaven to save a little money so he can send you some. God owns the cattle on a thousand hilltops, the scripture says. For God to sell a cow is like snapping his fingers. You will not be harmed if you trust God with your money, but you may be harmed if you don't. I'm not saying this to grow this budget. I'm not saying this because I want your money. I'm saying this because God knows that how you see money is how you see God. He didn't, he didn't set up this, this, these ideas, these boundaries, these suggestions, these, these everything comes from me to deny you pleasure, but to protect you from pain. When my son was little, he's riding his big wheel around on the driveway. He called it a motorcycle. And by the way, he has a motorcycle now. That's changed my prayer life a little bit. <laughs> 22-year-old, indestructible young man on a motorcycle in Denver. Okay. Um, but we had a line at the end of our driveway where the concrete or cement, I don't know which one's which, um, and the blacktop, right? And there's that little line that kind of divides the two. And he would say to Camp, Camp, don't, he's like three, don't cross, he still has a diaper on, do not cross this line. It's not because I don't want him to enjoy himself, and it's not because I don't want to watch him. It's because I don't want him dead. So God's provision, when God puts boundaries up, when he says, this is how things work. He's saying, will you trust me in this? Will you trust the one who created you to instruct you on how to live your life in a way that works best? What if you were God of your own world? Would you want to live in a world that you were God over? I mean, honestly, I don't want to live in a world that you would God, you're God over. And I don't want to live in a world I'm God over. My will, Lord, not yours, is the last servant. Your will, Lord, not mine, is Jesus, the five-talent person, and the two-talent person. I think you got the picture. Let me end with something a little nicer. This comes from, this one of those emails, actually, this one came from my mom. Um, Max Lucado has a blog, and the, I think it was the first one of the year, and I'm, he tells this story. He's the one that created it. It's his brain that, that made this story, but I'm going to personalize it so I can tell the story a little bit better, okay? Let's just say that, that if I live in your neighborhood, and by the way, if you come to my house in the evening and knock on my door or ring my doorbell unexpectedly, you're going to see really big down slippers, sweats, and an oversized sweatshirt and matted hair, okay? So I'm not going to be all presentable. But let's say that you're all presentable. You don't know I'm coming. I ring your doorbell and I show up and I, have, and I open I go, hey, I got something for you. And I hold this thing out and it's kind of a wad of aluminum foil, right? And I go, hey, just so you know, four days ago, Lynn made this unbelievably moist and wonderful uh, strawberry cake. And I couldn't wait to get home every day to have another piece, to have another piece, to have. And today I was on that last piece and I had the fork and I, I'm cutting it and I put some in my mouth and I went, huh. Oh. And right then I thought about you. So I wrapped up that last little half of that last little piece. It's a little dried up now, but hey, I just want you to have it. How you feel about that? You're going to go, oh, let me in. Because you probably, you know, you put that fork in your mouth and it's probably right on the edge there. You probably still got some of your germs on there too. Bless you. That's the leftovers. 
But what if I showed up, rang your doorbell, and I had this, and I'm kind of out of breath because, you know, I like cake, and, oh, um, hey, there's this thing, and Lynn Tupperware, I put it on top, and we a little burp thing, and, and smell this, smell. It's still warm. It just came out, I mean, two minutes ago, and I'm kind of cold out here, but I brought this. We've been thinking about you, praying about you, um, and we just wanted to bless you. So here, would you take this, and I brought a fork, you know, if you want to share, that's cool, but this is for you. This is the first fruit of the baking season. Which one would you prefer? And if you go, I don't like strawberry cake, then you're missing the point. (laughs) Now, what if God's your neighbor? And he is, we're told, the word became flesh and moved in next door. He's your neighbor. And you have something to give him. Which do you think he would prefer from you? Leftovers? Or something you can't wait to give him? We learned last week, God loves a joyful giver. We're not telling you to be legalistic about it, but we are telling you that how you see your money that's not yours is how you see your God. And you were either trusting or afraid. And as your pastor, I've been here now, I'm in my fifth year. I know you well, not all of you. And I can tell you this. You cannot worship God and money. And how you see your money is how you see God. So for your sake, treat God the way he asks you to. And therefore treat your money the way he asks you to. It's for your sake. It's what I want for you. It's what God wants for you. Shouldn't it be what you want for you? What is your money to you? Is it an opportunity to praise and glorify God? Or is it a way to just do your will? That's the question that Jesus asks in the parable of the talents. Let's pray. Lord, give us the courage to be faithful. It feels awful, but it actually is awful. Help us trust you. Help us live a life that says, not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, let it start with our money and our stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to tell you anymore. We start the gospel according to Mark next week. I encourage you to, we'll do just, we'll be in one chapter each week. There'll be a couple of weeks when we have to combine them, but um, read ahead. See what the Lord says to you first there, and then come and hear what the preacher learns from that and brings to you also. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you. Come and join, share in your master's happiness. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, turn his countenance toward you. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.